better. Um, Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26, says, Then God said, Let us. He's uh, the plural form of the verb indicates there are more beings than just Father God. When he said, let us, and all the activities of creation, we see that. And taken as a whole, the Bible points to the Spirit, to the Father and the Son. And so they're participators in the glory of God. And so he said, let us make a man and a woman. Now, this is humanity. He's talking about humanity. And the Hebrew word is simply Adam, which means uh, translated man, but uh, there's something called a definite article that without that, it's used here as kind of collective term for man and woman because we know he created a woman. And uh, so... When the does not occur before the word man, if you read it, it doesn't appear there before God creates a woman. And so they are Adam. Not just the man, but the woman too. They are Adam. So according to the Talmud, the three Hebrew letters of Adam's name represent the three initials of three men. Adam, David, and the Messiah. It's amazing. When you really dig deep how on purpose God was. So he said, let's create them to be in our image. And that word image, it means to represent resemblance in our image, resemble So God created someone like himself to reflect who he is to all creation. And so when he created all the the world and the things in the world, he said, let them reign over the fish of the sea, amen. The birds of the air, the livestock, over the creatures that creep along the ground and over the wild animals. That means to that we manage what God has put around us and we've put us in the world. So he created man and woman, shaped them with his image inside them. I like that translation. In his own beautiful image, he created his masterpiece. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them in his love. So when you see that, God's blessing upon the human family implies love. Do you understand if John writes twice in 1 John 4, God is love, then love must have an object or a subject to love. So God has always been love. So let me just kind of lay this out for you. What what I begin to see, and I haven't always seen this, this beautiful picture because we see that the Father gives Himself completely to the Son. The Son gives Himself completely to the Father. And the Holy Spirit completely gives Himself to the Father and the Son. These three are one, but here's the picture of love. God didn't create us because He was lonely. 
<laughs> he created us because he's love. He created us and we become the, the subjects of that passion. And he said, in his love, saying, when you know that God blesses men and women, empowers us to live on this planet, he infuses us with power and favor to succeed in life. So God blessed them in his love and said, reproduce and be fruitful, populate the earth and subdue it. That word subdue means dominion, take dominion or take control. This is like harnessing the natural resources that God has given us. It's like being good stewards of what he's placed in our hand. Uh, so this, when we understand how God created things to be, then we're able to see the resources release its potential uh, to benefit God's highest creation, us. No other creature on this planet is equal to us. <laughs> I've I never seen, they, they say we came from monkeys, but I've never seen a monkey in a wedding dress. <laughs> you, you understand, no other creation on this earth are like us. And there's people who want us to think that because they, they don't have the truth. Now, so he said, Rain over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and every creature that lives on earth. Now, I want to take you over to Ephesians chapter 2 just for a moment. Beginning in verse number 6. He says, by grace we are saved. He says in verse 6, he's, this is the King James Version, He's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the original intent. In the presence of the Father, Son, and Spirit. Because they cannot be separated, neither can we. I can't see you apart from Jesus if you're a believer. Because he lives in you. Paul says it. That in the ages to come. He might show the exceeding riches of his grace. And his kindness toward us. Through Christ Jesus. For by grace are you saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Now I want you to understand something. That not only is grace the gift. But faith is also the gift. And there's a reason that we have it. That's why Paul said in Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I'm living. It's not me living, it's Christ living in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that being said, he said, not of works, lest any man should boast, verse 9, but verse 10. We are his workmanship, his masterpiece. Remember Genesis? We are his masterpiece, created now in Christ Jesus unto good works, that, we, that which God hath before ordained or appointed to us before, what? Before the foundation of the world. That we should walk in them. That word walk is... 
don't just mean to be, it means to how you conduct yourself, your life, but it also comes from a word that means to tread on serpents and scorpions, on the authority over every devil. That's what it, it means to tread on serpents and scorpions, that you should walk in that kind of authority. Now, let's go look at a parable over in Matthew chapter, I think it's 25. Let me see. Yeah. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. But verse 14, now the headings of some of the commentaries would say this is a, a parable about financial stewardship, but I, don't, I think it goes so much deeper than that. I really do. And, and the reason I know is because once you do a study of what this wealthy man is given away, you understand that Jesus kind of takes us out of the park. It's not just some translations say when he gave the talent. Let's, let's read it and then I'll talk about it a little bit. Again, heaven's kingdom is like a wealthy man who went on a long journey and summoned all his trusted servants. Now, servants there in, the, in, the, in one, let's read it from the voice. Servants, if you look up the definition, if you read it in the King James, it means slaves. So, in verse 14, he said, this is how it'll be. It'll be like a landowner who's going on a trip. He instructed his slaves about caring for his property. He gave five talents to one slave, two to the next, and then one talent to the last slave, each according to his ability. Then the man left. Now, a little later in John 15, Jesus said, one of the things he expounds to the disciples, he said, I'm, I'm leaving. So we know he's talking about here, himself. I'm leaving. But he says, promptly the man who'd been given five talents went out and bartered and sold and turned his five into ten. The one who had received two talents went out to the market, turned his two into four. And the slave who had received just one talent dug a hole in the ground and buried his master's money there. Now, first of all, when he's, when he's talking about talents, he's not talking about our, our giftings, what we're able to, what the talents that we have. He's not talking about that. As a matter of fact, the talent he's talking about would take, this is a wealthy person. This, this man is a wealthy man. And Jesus is... He says, he gives one five talents. Now, let me tell you what a talent, it's like a bar of gold. It would take 20 years for that man to earn one bar of gold. 20 years. He said, I'm giving you, this is what he's saying. I've, I've, I've paid the price for this wealth. And I'm giving it to you. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you, I feel the Lord. I'm giving you my blood, sweat, and tears to manage. I'm 
giving myself. Slaves. These are slaves. They'd never, the day before they were just slaves. Now, he says, you're going to represent me. You're going to take these five, think about it, five talents, two talents, and one talent. 20 years for just one bar of gold. 40 for the two. But it would take 100 years of labor. Now, Jesus is, he's just taken out of the park. This is not like some translations say he gave one $10,000, one $5,000, one, that, that's, that doesn't even come close. Because he's, he's actually giving a comparison to what it would be like. He's giving them half of what it would, or, or this is a picture of giving them what the national debt of Judea would be. And he's giving them his life. He's, he says, I'm giving you, this represents my life. I'm giving it to you. He said, I want you to go and invest it. Remember, he said, don't lay up your treasures where moth and rust and thieves. But lay up your treasures in heaven. Because wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to want to be. So I want, I want you to look at this. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, have, are, they are selfless giving themselves to one another. Do you understand that Jesus came to selfless, selflessly give himself to us? But it was Father and Holy Spirit too. Because three, three are one. I'm, I'm leaving. But before I go, I'm investing in you. I'm giving myself my life. I'm imparting my life to you. Now think about this. Here's a picture of perfect love. Slaves one day. <laughs> the next day. They're looking like the master because they got his wealth. Wow. They got his money. We know that's money. But, but I want you to think about the talent being that love. Because when you read in Ephesians 2, he said, we're his workmanship his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus unto good works. So what does that mean? That means that the new commandment, let's look over at John 15 just for a moment. I think we need to go there just for a moment. Um, we know it's the, the parable of the vine and the branches. And we know we're the branches. He's the vine. And we're supposed to, Abide in this, but verse 12, from the voice, he says, My commandment to you is this, love others as I have loved you. I'm giving you my life. I'm giving myself selflessly to you. Love others as I have loved you. Now, that word commandment, 
It comes from a word. It's, it's not like a military command. It's not like it's portrayed to us through the, the, the translations. But that word comes, even in the King James, if you look up the Greek uh, of the word commandment, it comes from the word entoli, E-N-T-O-L-I, which means to impart something. To someone. I'm giving you this commandment. No, it's not entirely. I'm imparting to you something. This is what I'm. Now, how does, it, how does he impart that? Through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is here. He is God. He is the Spirit of Christ. And he's in us. Over and over, you read in the scriptures where it says that in, when Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he said, in Christ Jesus. Now, remember Gideon over in the Old Testament? Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine vat because they're surrounded by the enemy, Midianites. They're in fear. All the people are hiding. And Gideon is threshing wheat in a wine vat to hide. And God, the Lord comes to him and says, Stand up, you man of valor. And he gave him instructions about the trumpet and the, the lantern. And the Bible said the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon. Now that translation is... I want you to see something here. Actually, if you look up the Hebrew of that term, it means the Holy Ghost put on Gideon. He clothed himself with Gideon. Oh. So all of a sudden we see a picture here of the Father's investment through types and shadows of the Old Testament. But we know how that transpired because it was Gideon and, and, and the, that few soldiers on the hillside, was it 300? They had trumpets and they had pitchers with lanterns and, and uh, all the, the enemy was, was spread out. out. They were outnumbered. But when, he, when Gideon, the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, the Gideon when. when he clothed himself with Gideon. The Bible says that he broke the pitcher and blew the trumpets. They all did that. And this caused so much confusion that the enemy killed themselves. They, they actually, we find another uh, historical fact about Jehoshaphat over in the book of Chronicles in chapter 20. I think it's 2 Chronicles 20. The, all of the enemy comes like a swarm outnumbering Judah. And I want you to notice that we see something here that's very important because they're coming up by the cliff. Now, the cliff would be almost impossible to scale, but they figured out a way to scale the cliff and to attack. They wanted to wipe out much like that same spirit that's at work today through Hamas over Israel. They wanted to wipe out Jehoshaphat and Judah. But Jehoshaphat 
knew they were outnumbered and there would be no way their army could defeat this innumerable company that had made an allegiance. The children of Mount Seir, the Moabites, and the people of Edom had made an allegiance to wipe out Jehoshaphat and all of Judah. But Jehoshaphat didn't focus on the problem. His prayer was much more focused on the, on the answer because you've you probably heard me preach about it that Jehoshaphat set himself to seek the Lord and he said, Lord, we, don't, we have no might against this great company. Neither do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. I've learned anymore to, to give God praise for his faithfulness when there's pressure, when there's a struggle, when there's things going on that we can't control, that we have, it seems like they just go haywire and it's all, about, what do you do? Well, you don't let fear take over because he's made an investment in you like the, the one with the one talent buried it. He was afraid. He had fear. And so he's not acting in faith. He's acting in fear by burying the talent. So Jehoshaphat didn't act in fear. He said, Lord, we have no might against this great company. Neither do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And the Holy Spirit comes on Jehaziel, the prophet, the Levite. And he said, thus says the word of the Lord, you don't need to fight in this battle. Because this battle is not yours. How many times do we engage ourselves in a fight that don't belong to us? How many? I've been there. I've tried to fix things that I had no control over and, and it'll stress you out. It'll bring you into a place of anxiety and even fear if you allow yourself to be drawn into that mindset. But the, the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel. He said, the, this is what the Lord said. You, you don't have to fight this battle. It's not yours. It's mine. This fight is mine. Tomorrow, they're coming up by the cliff. Ziz. He told them where they were coming. And, and, and I want you to notice something else. He said, I don't want you to put the army out front. Because the wisdom of God is, is wiser than... it's." Even the foolishness of God, the Bible said, is wiser than men. So he says, I want you to put the, the praise, the worship, the, the musicians, and the worship team in front. That never happened before, going into battle. It never happened. But the Bible said when they got up in the morning, Jehoshaphat did just that. And... They go out and begin to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And they're going out in faith. They're going out not to get God to do something, but because God had given them instruction that he had this. And so they believed him. And, and, and something else that, that I never thought about, but, but the, where the enemy is, they can't hear the worship. They can't hear the praise going up. They're too far away. But somehow, the Bible says confusion came to them. 
And they begin to look at it. Now, they're in allegiance, but they're mortal enemies anyway of each other. And all of a sudden, they looked at one of the others and said, I hate you. And they, they start, I, I just think I'll kill you. And they started killing one another and went by the time Jehoshaphat and the children of Judah get to the place where the battle would have taken place, all of the enemy is scattered dead on the ground and it takes them like three days to pick up the spoil. And they call it the Valley of Barakah, the Valley of Blessing, the Valley of Praise. Whoa. So we see here an investment is made by the Father. He has a passion for his people. And we see a picture in the old... Now, now this is before the cross. This is before Jesus. So when we look at the Old Testament and the New Testament, everything began to change. Remember, I told you about the, the, the Jesus walking on the water and he had fed the 5,000. The disciples had fed the 5,000 because he said, I want you to do it. Verily, verily... I say unto you, the works that I do, verse chapter 14 of John, shall you do also and greater works because I go to my Father. So we see here a picture begin to unfold of the investment, God's love investment in us that there's nothing that we need to do to enhance his love for us. And one of the tools of the enemy is to make us think we, we got to do this, we got to do that, and we got to... Uh, no, Jesus already took care of that. We, we get to be involved. We get to be embraced in that passionate love of the Father. And because of that, man, I'm telling you, God will open doors that you don't even have to worry about making it happen. Many of you know we had a crew out there changing out our whole AC unit and been there for two and a half days. Well, you know, God, you don't have to make it happen because three of those guys were taking a break and I walked over to where they were and they began to engage me. They opened the door. One of the guys opened the door. I told him, I said, I'm not going to be preaching to you, but you, since you opened the door... I got something to say. <laughs> he said, I'm trying to be the best Christian I can. I said, you need to stop that. <laughs> I said, you, you need to come to this place where you know how much you're loved and what an investment of love God has made into you. And it's amazing because he's kind of like, I'm trying to get there. He's trying to get there. I said, you know, I said, uh, you, you need to come to an understanding of this investment of love the Father has made in you that there's nothing you can do to enhance that. The only thing you can do is embrace it and see it, that your eyes are opened to the Father's love and His Father's heart. And what's amazing is one of the young guys asked me had I ever read the Gospel of Thomas. And I said, <laughs> and he struggles with church because he's probably been exposed to some religious stuff. I said, no, I had never read it, but I can tell you about Thomas. He was a missionary in India 
and God used him in a miraculous way. They call him Doubting Thomas, but he's not Doubting Thomas. He's a man full of faith that the Lord Jesus loved so much, he revealed himself to him and said, here, touch my hands and my side and feel that I have a body. He loved him so much. And, and I said, Thomas actually was martyred. I said, but he was a missionary to India. I said, I understand that. I understand our shortcut because, uh, you know, so many times we, we get caught up in this idea that's not God's idea at all. And, and we try to measure up to the standard. I said, I said let me tell you, when you stop doing that and realize how much you're loved, you don't have to measure up anymore. You have, to, you have to understand that his love for you is so true because Jesus takes it out of the park and he said, I'm giving you my life. He said, There's, it's like a wealthy man gives five talents to one, two to one, and one to the other. It, it's amazing because think about it. One talent, 20 years of hard of working, blood, sweat, and tears for one talent, one bar. And he gives five to one. Jesus is taken out of the park, see? He's taken it out of the park. He said, this is, he said, oh, by the way, and, and he left. The wealthy man left after he had imparted to his slaves. Think about that. They're slaves until he gives them the talents. So they go out in the marketplace, two of them do, and they're representing him. They're representing the wealthy man. Wow. Because they're carrying his wealth. That, if you look up the word uh, in the scriptures and the translations, this man was a wealthy man. And he's given his stuff to slaves. Whoa, one day they're slaves. The next day, they're representing him. Wow, what a, tra what a transformation. So we don't have to be a slave to sin. But we can understand that even though we might have once been slaves, we're like Paul now. I'm a prisoner of his love. I'm a, there used to be a song called a prisoner, uh, a prisoner of love. That was a gospel song, but, but Paul said, I'm a, I'm a prisoner of Christ. It means that I'm living my life for him. He's same one that wrote that I'm crucified with Christ. That word means that when Jesus died on the cross, I died on the cross. Not in reality, but spiritually. We, we, we're dead to the world. When he rose again, so did we. If you then be risen with Christ, is what Paul said. Seek those things which are above where Christ sits. For you're dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now think about that. What does it mean? To have my life hid with Christ in God. It means that his life is now in us. We have his life. One young man who's standing there. I won't call his name, but he, 
he, he kind of called me over to the side. He's probably, might be 20 years old, 21. He said, what about, he said, I just, can I talk to you? I said, yeah, well, I'm here. His buddies are over there. He said, I don't know what to do in this struggle with myself and my family. Just a super nice young man. I said, I tell you what to do. I said, first of all, you need to know how much you're loved. I said, you can't improve on that by your performance. I said, secondly, if you'll just worship in the, in the face of your struggle. And I told him about Jehoshaphat. And all of a sudden, a big old, gr- it was like he got the lights came on. He went from this really sad look to this big old smile broke out on his face. He said, that's all I need to do? I said, that's all you need to do. I said, you have to trust him. You have to praise him in the face of your struggle. If you can do that and understand how much you're loved, I said, I said you're going to find yourself in a good place. And I don't have all the answers. But I do know one thing, if you can praise him, if you can give him worship, when, all, when you're in the struggle, I'm telling you, the struggle won't have near the effect on you, but then we're reminded of Romans 8, 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord, to the called according to his purpose. That verse has been milling over in my mind today. So, you know, it's, it's really amazing. I, I hesitate to tell you this, but they got our air fixed. But something happened to the hot water heater while they're changing it out. And it, we, we haven't had hot water in two days. So I told them, I said, you know, I said, I took a shower yesterday without hot water. I said, I, re- I was reminded of jumping in the Tutumangosa River in Ecuador. I said, it was like ice. <laughs> and I said, uh, I said, I was reminded how thankful I am for hot water. We don't know when that's going to change. But I can tell you this. I'm praising, I'm walking through the house. Thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful even in a cold shower. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that that this is one of those moments that we can walk through together and we can give you glory, we can give you praise. And and so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I do know he's faithful. I do know that I'm not going to focus on the problem with the water heater. And we'll, that'll, that'll get fixed. One way or the other, that'll get fixed. I'm going to focus on his... I went through the... I was back there in my music room with my hands up saying, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. Because he just told me the valve went out and no, we just had that replaced less than a year ago. So I'm praising the Lord. I said, thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. God, I know that you have a plan, but I'm just going to worship you. We're just going to praise you. We're going to do what we need to do, but God, this is not our fight. Come on, somebody. Because you made an investment in us. That investment of love. 
And I know love never fails, right? Well, let's, let's read this real quick and, and I'll be done. Um, thank you so much for being here tonight. I'm grateful for all of you. Um, let's see if I remember my password. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Work one more time. <laughs> I want to read this to you, and I want you to. I want you to. I want to read it to you. Maybe like you've never heard it, um, but it's true. And I'm going to read it from. Let's let's see the New King James. Yeah. Beginning in verse four, First Corinthians thirteen. It's the foundation foundation this is where we start before the foundation of the world god the, the jesus said no man could come to the father but by me his desire was to get us back to the father jesus came to get us back to the father so love suffers long and is kind no let's say god suffers long and is kind you know why because god is love God does not envy. God does not parade himself, is not puffed up. Does not behave himself rudely, does not seek his own. He is not provoked, thinks no evil. God does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. Love, God bears all things. God believes all things. God hopes all things. God endures all things. God never fails. And he talks about the temporary world. So if God is love, he never fails. He's faithful. So that love never fails. The agape love. The, the, the opposite of agape is eros. It's a very selfish, it's the opposite. And the, and the extreme of eros is indifference. I don't care if they go to hell or not. That's that love. That's the how the enemy will pervert that agape if he can. If we live in a world that is filled with people who are, their eyes haven't been opened to the truth. And uh, they're in a lost condition. They don't know him. But we have come to a place where the eyes of our understanding is being enlightened that we know what is the hope of our calling. And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance is in us. Guess what? That's the investment, the love investment. I want you to stand with me. He is so faithful. God is so faithful. He's amazing. So, Father, we praise you tonight for this opportunity. Thank you that, Lord, your love sustains us. Your love saved us by grace, the gift. Are we saved through the gift of faith? Lord, we thank you that 
That love never fails us. That love will heal us. Lord, that love will make us whole. It'll keep us together. As Brother Dwayne sung, it will keep us. And Lord, we praise you, God, because you've given us that investment, that beautiful picture of paying the price and giving us your wealth and living in us that we can live in you. We pray, Father, for every person tonight, Lord, to be in a place of great peace and joy and expectation in you, that we live full with the fullness of God, Lord, because we know what is the depth, the length, the breadth, and the height, and knowing the love of Christ that passes knowledge, and we're filled with the fullness of God. And we give you praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. God bless you.